0: Hi everyone, this week I had the real pleasure of talking to Leon Taylor. Leon's a former GB Olympic diving medalist and represented GB at three Olympics. Following his professional diving retirement, he now, amongst other activities, works as a performance coach and mentor. He came to our attention following his brilliant TEDx talk, which discussed his own mental health and the importance of movement and exercise in keeping mentally and physically well. It was really fascinating to chat to Leon on a whole range of subjects, from being described as a problem child in his youth, to how elite sport needs to find a balance between pushing for results and safeguarding athletes' health. If you enjoy this episode, I'd recommend checking out Leon's TEDx talk, which you'll find a link to in our show notes. As ever, if you find this podcast episode interesting or helpful, please share it around and give us a review on iTunes. So today I'm speaking to Leon Taylor. Uh, thank you for joining us. And how are the European Championships?
1: Uh, yeah, well, they were great, actually. Thank you. So the, the team performance, of British, uh, British team's performance uh, everywhere were, was fantastic. Obviously, I was covering the diving, and uh, we ended up uh, second on the medal table behind uh, the mighty Russia. So it looked as though going into the last day that we could end up at the top of the medal table, which would have been extraordinary. However. Russians got the better of us on the last day, but we came away with more medals than we've won at any other European diving championship, so it was uh, a delight to be providing the commentary uh, for the BBC for the duration.
0: Brilliant. Um, so what we always, the question we kind of always start with is, can you give us an insight into your kind of personal and professional relationship to mental health?
1: Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a big question. So let's let's start with, with personal. Sure. Uh, as you would have already gleaned, um, I uh, was involved and still involved in, in high performance sports. So, my, uh, my journey through childhood took me into activities, physical activity. And uh, we could talk more about how I ended up in, in physical activity uh, later, but I uh, you know, was a uh, sport mad from before I can remember. I always dreamed of going to the Olympic Games and ultimately uh, competed for uh, Team GB three times, three separate Olympic Games. and uh, and achieved a a goal of winning uh, an Olympic medal in uh, in 2004. But it came at a a great cost in many ways, both both physically, so during my uh, 30 years of of competing in the sport of diving, I had many, many injuries, and some very serious injuries. In fact, I had four reconstructive shoulder surgeries on the same shoulder Had by the time I got to the end of my career. Uh, Just before my fourth, what would have been my fourth Olympic Games, my lower back was uh, was so unstable. had a worn-out disc in between uh, two of my vertebrae, uh, to the point where the medical team, uh, who were looking after me, told me uh, if I was a horse, they'd have to shoot me. And uh, it was, you know, certainly uh, maybe slightly tongue-in-cheek, but to grab my attention and uh, and ultimately my physical body. uh, was very, very damaged from training six, seven hours a day, six days a week, and, and really going for, um, you know, to be the very best in the world at uh, a particular sport and discipline. But also alongside that, uh, uh, the, the journey mentally was, was was very, very tough. So I was uh, diagnosed very early on as a problem child. And had been invented uh, back then, or maybe it had. But the the family doctor, uh, based on my symptoms, of um, needed constant attention. My mum and dad you know, were you know, run ragged by the fact that I wouldn't sleep, and rest, and that continued as a as a toddler. And they chose physical activity to uh, to channel my uh, endless amounts of energy. And uh, ultimately, they were able to manage me, and and that became my release, if you will, and uh, the way that I was able to uh, navigate this world uh, with whatever uh, I was battling with. I, my um, default setting of vibration tends to be a little bit higher than most people that I, that I meet as a, as, a, as a fun way of, uh, of assessing. So, uh, you know, whatever you know, uh, challenges I had then continued on in sport and physical activity was certainly something which uh, which. Uh, was a huge benefit to my my mental well-being. However, with the pressures of high-performance sport and injury and such like, I myself fell into uh, into a depression, and that came about through uh, injury and. Um, uh, ultimately, not being able to uh, to come back and uh, being stuck in a pattern of thinking where um, I ended up in a in a very dark place, and um, you know having struggled for a period of time until you know, a, a, a series of things happened, which allowed me to to find my way out of it in uh, in such a, in such a way where I didn't spend a, a long long time there, but I spent long enough um, to. Uh, to, to, to really uh, come away with uh, uh, appreciation for, um, for, for the importance of, uh, of someone's uh, mental, mental health and, and my own, and what I needed to do to, uh, to, to be aware of it, to, to safeguard it, and, and, and such like. And that kind of inspired me now, as uh, on the other side of my uh, life as a, an Olympic athlete, and all of the things that I do, I mentor young athletes, I coach one-to-one, you know, high performers in business and other places, and I guess the label that fits is a, is a performance and wellness coach, and, and through my own experiences, um, I've now uh, been, always been fascinated with this area of psychology. It's something i studied uh, at A-level, at university, and ultimately have found many mentors who are um, incredible in that field. I've been lucky enough to work with them, and now uh, continue my learning, and of, uh, as many taking as many opportunities as I can, and I think that uh, you know my relationship now professionally with uh, with mental health is is uh, a, a, an amazing place where I'm able to. Look at my history and continued relationship with elite sport, but, and psychology and performance psychology and sports psychology. But now, looking at the very real issues of, uh, of stress, overwhelm, overthinking, which are often the precursors to more serious mental health issues. Which are, you know, I'm not going to start quoting, uh, you know, the numbers, but they are they are frightening. You know, I did a lot of research for my recent TEDx talk um, around, you know, the impact of. Uh, mental health and what we what we could do uh, to combat this as I refer to it as an unwellness so whether it's stress which is you know, leading into or whether it's already a diagnosable mental health issue uh, it's you know from children all the way through uh, to adults in later life it's a it's a huge issue and the more people um, they can get involved in input and uh, and steer the ship in many ways um, the better for me. So that's
0: kind of where I am uh, professionally. Uh, yeah. So just, I think we'll come back to the um, the latter stage career stuff later, but as a child, we're, you've described that when you went, your parents took you to the doctor to to kind of see what was going on <laughs> and was exercise not really considered as a, as a way to kind of burn off some extra energy or...
1: Yeah, so uh, the story goes that the, that the family doctor uh, offered uh, to take me away and sedate me uh, so my parents would get some rest uh, or you know, uh, prescribe drugs in order for them to medicate me in order for them to get some rest. And it wasn't the doctor um, who, who suggested physical movement. It was my, uh, my dad and my mum. Uh, they, they went, okay, well... Uh, the only thing we can do uh, that we know works is let's tire Leon out. We'd tell stories uh, of you know building you know um, little uh, you know, obstacle courses in the front room made up of the cushions of the sofa, and we would just do it for hours and hours and hours. And I climb to the top, and he'd knock me off down, and I climbed mm. again, he'd not down. And it would just be this, and I would be so happy and, and, and you know gurgling with excitement. As soon as it stopped, I would go into like um, screaming banshee mode. <laughs> And so my dad and mum were like, OK, so he likes it in the bar, I take it down to the local swimming pool, and I would be in there, I'd turn into a wrinkly baby,
0: yeah. I'd be in
1: there for so long, and I wouldn't want to leave, and, you know, there's these lovely poor parents that, when I tell these stories, but, you know, this was the thing that my parents found, that, uh, you know, if, you know, I was number one when I was engaged in the physical activity, I was joyful, and, uh, and it would eventually... Caused me to fall asleep for a short time. I'll admit, all my parents say, but it was the you know the way that they found um, in order to uh, uh, to manage me in in, in, the, in the best possible
0: way. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does make you. I don't know what the situation is like now, but um, how many other children there were that that had similar stuff to you, who who weren't lucky enough to find exercise, and actually how talented they could have been in some kind of sport that where they could focus their energy and their attention on it
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree, there are many many stories out there, it's not uncommon for me to chat to fellow Olympians and Paralympians and uh, my story isn't uh, a whole lot different to, to many others out there Um, And, uh, yeah, it's not just the, uh, I don't want to refer to myself as an outlier, but it may be an extreme case where, you know, sport was the the avenue for for me and I was able to take it to the the highest level. But I think there's uh, a lot to be said for uh, uh, encouraging children in that way anyway. You know, to move more, to, to physically more, to burn off that energy, so they can, uh, you know, uh, be do do what children do, which is run around and uh, be healthy and, you know, use their bodies in, in a way that uh, can only boost their uh, their well-being.
0: Yeah. So, diving was obviously the the one you were probably best at, um, and you finished fourth in Sydney. I did. And then am I right in saying you had a couple of shoulder operations after that, and that was the start of, of you, falling into a depression.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very much so.
0: And how, how did this, how did it manifest itself? How did it feel? What was it like?
1: Yeah. yeah so I, uh, it would be, very easy to describe me, and, and I've done psychometric tests, which uh, come out with this as a result that I'm uh, an extrovert and uh, I thrive uh, around people. And that's something I'm, I'm very aware of. And um, you know, training is part of the team, and an individual sport, and you know, just that was the thing. But but it started to. Uh, now I can I can retrofit this. At the time, I was unaware, uh, but uh, I started to notice that uh, I was withdrawing myself a lot from uh, anything and everyone, uh, which is. Odd, because the thing that provides me with energy is is other people, and uh, you know, I started to carry the world around on my shoulders. I started to run the narrative and the patterns of why me, life's not fair. You know, all the all the kind of stuff that was uh, all true, right? Life isn't fair, um, and uh, you know, that's a, a reality, sadly. But I, you know, I fell into this uh, kind of pattern of um, thinking but also a pattern of physiology, which is my big thing. Uh, I was walking around, you know, with my shoulders hunched and my chin down, and, you know, everything was slower and more effortful, and, you know, it kind of just became this habitual pattern of me, you know, feeling sorry for myself, which then led to being despondent, and then, you know, and, and even though I was continuing to to drive myself to recover from these surgeries and the thing that tipped me is I had one reconstructive shoulder surgery, I made it all the way back through the rehabilitation and then it hadn't worked and I had to have another shoulder surgery and that was the the blow that, uh, you, you know, that sent me down into into a spiral, that, a, a ditch as I refer to it, that I, I struggled to get out of, I couldn't you know, I did everything that I thought I could to get out of the ditch, and uh, ultimately, the, the 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 turning point is where where I'd actually given up. Yeah. I'd, I'd given up on the sport, not on you know on, on existing. Although it's very very close because mm. the sport and you're an Olympian is so close to you. So I was in a very very dark place, but a strong you know, personality and a strong person. And I would, you know, people would try and help me, um, and I would you know bat them away because I was so. Uh, you know, hurting and so vulnerable, and you know, it was it was a, a, a time where people could see how much I was suffering, but didn't know how to how to help me specifically and how to step in. And and fortunately for me, when um, you know when the wheels had, had had come completely off, and I'd you know I'd, I'd stood on the poolside, I remember it well, and I'd you know tears running down my face, and I'd I'd given up because I'd done everything, I'd I'd you know I was at the end of it, and. Uh, and it was—it seems simple now, but it was the, the attention direction uh, that was that was missing. I was obsessing over all of the the detail and driving myself into a into a low place. And, and my mentor, um, who had been you know, trying to help from far, just it's simple questions. He uh, says, "Leon, why do you do this sport?" And you know, the, that was the. The aha moment, because I'd been, you know, for months and months and months, I'd been, you know, uh, no smiling, taking everything seriously, kind of you know, squeezing the life out of everything, and it, you know, the change I made was uh, just to pay attention to uh, to the enjoyment within the sport. The reason I chose the sport when I was eight over all the other sports that I was involved in, and it was incredible because for me that was the turning point. I was able to push off the bottom. And very, very quickly, I was able to, to get myself out of that very dark place, and uh, you know, I was disillusioned, I didn't know what I was doing, and, and, and able to, you know, to transfer it around. And it was the physiology change that was the biggest uh, and most impactful thing. So I was walking around with my chin up and shoulders up, I was breathing deeply, I was smiling, and uh and for me you know the now there's m- many studies out there which show that this makes a huge difference chemically in your human nervous system which is why professionally now I'm so into this stuff because my story you know this is 15 longer years ago now uh it was uh it was very much that change not in thinking because that happened at the same time but it was the physiology change which uh which was the biggest one
0: yeah i think there's even studies to show that faking a smile actually induces the same kind of feelings as smiling naturally, um, which is just amazing. So what? It's
1: amazing, and even, even so, let me tell you, this is another study where you put a pencil in between your teeth and you bite it, okay, and with a pen or a pencil in between your teeth and you're biting top and bottom teeth, you're activating the same muscles as a smile, and so they've done studies just to show this as well, that that actually activates you from the neuromuscular point of view, you're activating uh, the same muscles that it takes to smile just by biting on the pencil, and if you hold it there for long enough, you start to change the chemical hormone mix in your system and it moves you away from stress
0: towards wellness Yeah, and I think it's probably the exact same study but the reverse is also true of where they force people I can't remember how they did it, but they force people to frown um, and the reverse obviously happened for that Um, There's been quite a lot in the media recently about trying to find the balance between in high profile sports of pushing to win and um, and also safeguarding athletes mental and physical health and i was wondering about what your kind of opinions are on how you find that line um and what we can do about it to kind of safeguard athletes health without um without reducing their performances i suppose
1: yeah great well the first thing uh, that's happening is that we're, we're aware of it more so now and uh, talking about it uh, and because it's on the table that would naturally uh, be something that everyone involved is aware of uh, other officials, performance directors, etc., and uh, and I think that uh, there isn't a, a magic recipe. It's not it's this and it's that, and that's the maximum here and such like. So it's it's very much the uh, responsibility of everyone involved to to be aware of it. It's a duty of care, and uh, you know there is huge steps in, the, in in the right direction, but we're not there yet, and I don't think we'll ever get there because everything. Uh, is a work in progress and this is just uh, an example of that Uh, but 10 years ago this wouldn't have been a conversation point so we're you know rightly uh, making uh, making progress and uh, yeah uh, certainly I I hope it and I'm sure I've confidence that it will continue
0: and does that duty of care kind of transition into when athletes retire because I know that's quite a big issue for for a lot of athletes when they retire and they just don't have that uh, I suppose, structure, and it's their, it's their life, isn't it? And then it suddenly wake up one day and it's not there anymore.
1: Yeah, it can be as harsh as that, Harry. Yes, uh, n- not enough is the answer, and uh, that is another area that's being um, explored and, and looked at because it's like whose responsibility is it, where are the resources, et all the different stakeholders. Uh, so, no, there are many people out there who are uh, driving this on the agenda, And, uh, you know, I'm part of the Athletes Commission uh, and and, and certainly close to, you know, many working groups. This is something which is uh, a huge issue across professional sport, the sport that that I'm involved in, which is not necessarily defined as professional, but we're we're full-time athletes. We receive an element of uh, of, of funding. And then once you finish your uh, time, you you can sometimes be, you left completely or it can feel like that so there is work to be done certainly in that danger area where um, as you quite rightly described one day you wake up and you're like oh who am I uh, if I'm not uh, an athlete in uh, in the particular sport.
0: Yeah and something you've touched upon it a few minutes ago um, and what you've done in retirement is mentoring Um, and you kind of touched upon it but how important is it for young athletes people going out into the world that they have a kind of mentor figure who's been there and done it and, and suffered the ups and downs and can give them a bit of perspective when they're struggling with an issue that the mentor may have struggled with earlier in their career
1: absolutely yeah so i'm uh, a big uh, advocate of mentoring Uh, i'm a mentor myself and i've always been a mentee and and i'm uh, an advocate of multiple mentors a mentor isn't someone in my opinion that you find and that you stay with for the rest of your days Uh, maybe they are but um, i believe that uh, there's so many people out there who are very capable as mentors and for me it's very simple if you um, as a mentee approach someone who has uh, an experience and or a skill set that you would benefit you know, from learning uh, or having an insight into uh, then that is a potential mentee mentor relationship that might only last three weeks or it might last three months or three years but I think that there is an opportunity uh, to uh, as you move into new areas uh, and my example of my career and, you know, as I've moved into you know, the world of professionals, public speaking, and uh, the media stuff that I do, I was always finding people who were uh, experienced in that area, who I could learn from, and then I would be brave enough to go and ask them if uh, you know, I, if they would have any time to spend with me. I would invite them to, to buy them a tea or juice or, or whatever, and, and, and whether it became a, a more... And structured uh, mentee-mentor relationship or whether it was uh, they directed me to someone else who could help me more um, and I think that that is really important that um, we don't just go it alone unnecessary, that unnecessarily that we can find people uh, within our organisations or nearby or in our organisational clubs or whatever it is who can, uh, who can act in that very very important role and it's not it doesn't need to be you know for the rest of uh, one's life. It can be for a short time, and uh, multiple mentors. And I think that if uh, you know people say I'm not old enough to be a mentor, I say well, if you're old enough to have an experience or skill set, then you're old enough to be a mentor. And uh, and it's something which. Uh, I think is uh, one of the most uh, rewarding relationships that uh, that you can have, the mentee-mentor relationship, because of the of the nature of it and the sharing of experience and skill sets and insights and mess ups and you know things that worked and things that didn't work. It can be and is uh, massively, massively rewarding.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I think it can kind of give you a bit of perspective on your own um, struggles and also successes and stuff as well. Yeah. Um, the kind of thing that I want to finish on is something you mentioned in your TEDx talk, which was about uh, finding your movement. Um, yeah. And can you just give us like, a, a brief explanation about, about it and, and yeah. why moving and exercise is so good both physically and mentally for us?
1: sure so uh if you uh, ha- haven't watched my uh, my tedx yet 17 minutes please uh, please give it a watch so i go into a little more detail but basically what i found is that uh moving physically your body uh, even just a little bit changes everything so it changes the chemicals in your brain uh so we uh, you know, the chemical changes that take place on, uh, on when you move you, physiologically. So even just changing your breathing pattern or you know taking a stretch is, is enough to make a difference uh, biochemically in, in your brain, specifically with certain hormones. So uh, brain-derived neurotropic factor and endorphins are the two main uh, you know, chemical changes that happen in your brain. And so the, this, the, the result is in, in the moment you change your state, your mood is elevated, Um, which is why often after physically moving things seem a little clearer, uh, you're more at ease, you're in of mood. Uh, But over the long term, uh, moving physically, uh, regularly, uh, or exercise, um, actually changes the shape of your brain. So there's been many studies to show that the hippocampus area of the brain, which is uh, related to memory and other such functions, starts to to grow. So you're actually changing the shape of your brain. Over a period of time, it boosts self-esteem, And uh, it reduces the physiological effects of prolonged psychological stress. So you become more resilient to what life throws at you. And this is all through moving physically. But what I found is that there's a massive resistance uh, because, uh, or uh, there's not necessarily resistance, but people kind of force themselves to go to the gym or go for a run because that's what they think they have to do for their physical health and maybe they think it's good for their mental health. But what I was suggesting by Find Your Movement is like don't look at exercise for exercise sake or movement for movement sake. It's like, well, go out and try many different things and find the ones that fill you with the most enjoyment and I come up with suggestions you know like uh, dancing, walking, running, swimming, whatever Uh, but but there's so many different ways that you can move your body in so many different settings that it doesn't have to be in a sport or an exercise setting it can be you know I joke in my TEDx talk that you know there's things out there that you can go to like um, uh, an an early morning sober (laughs) rain before you go to work and and, and I try to encourage people just to kind of go well be creative like what, what is what is your thing and often it's the case of well i don't know then my suggestion is well imagine if you were eight years old and you didn't know uh, go out there and try lots of different things like what do your friends do what are your friends of friends do what is nearby you what are the things that you can go and get involved in what can you do as a group but what can you do on your own because there's a there's a chance here we're all as unique as our thumbprint so some people would like to move on their own and that would be massively rewarding. But other people want to be with other people. And that's also cool. And, we're, you know, rather than saying it must be this or it must be that, my my invitation is is find your movement and the movement that fills you with joy.
0: Yeah. So and if you
1: can do that regularly, then that's your long-term, you know, benefits of physical movement nailed right there because it's not forcing yourself to go to the gym. It's just doing what you want to do anyway.
0: Yeah, it's not about kind of... Caning yourself half an hour on a treadmill if you don't enjoy it. More about, you know, you can go for a walk or a thing that I find really useful that that stops my pain flaring up is when I'm sitting down working at a, a desktop or a laptop is every 10 minutes I have a little alarm that tells me to stretch um, and then after four of them I'll go for a, a 10 minute walk or make a cup of tea or something like that just to kind of release release the um, the habits. Um,
1: yeah, the, the build up of you know of being sedentary, and also you know the, the chemical mix in your body. That's perfect. That's exactly the the coaching uh, strategy I use with with many of the people that I work with. Is just building that habitual thing in there. So I often joke with people. I say, look. Become a smoker, but don't start smoking. So I want you to get up, leave your desk, go outside. You know, have a chat to someone, stretch your body, have a little walk, and then come back and do that regularly. So it's you know, brilliant. You've you've got a, a, a an excellent strategy there.
0: Yeah, I think I was quite resistant to it at first, and I think a lot of people are resistant to it because they see they see it as. Um, meaning they'll be less productive or they'll get less work done. But actually, episode, yeah, I'm fully focused for those 10 minutes and I get, I get more done that way than if I was what I did before was just slog away for an hour or two and then go and have a cup of coffee and then come straight back. But it's, it really does work for your productivity as well.
1: Great.
0: Um, so just to finish off, what would be your, your top tip for safeguarding your mental health?
1: well if i had to pick i had to pick one then it's 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 move more yeah (laughs) and you know that's uh you know there are many things that that you can do but i argue that uh, we spend too much time almost stuck in our heads and uh, we rarely spend enough time in our bodies and uh you know thinking uh, isn't necessarily uh, the answer or the solution to our problems and challenges it often is the cause to them because we get stuck in this pattern of trying to think our way out of things and overthinking and we don't spend enough time doing what you're talking about which is getting up from the desk or the uh, you know uh, the context where, You're you're being and and, and moving the bodies are designed to move, and and it's just such an accessible thing. Even with those of us out there who have restricted movements through either disability or injury or such like, there is often the majority of us can still move in that way, and it uh, it makes a huge, huge difference. And building that in as a habit. Uh, uh, you know because habits are both good and bad and so you know they're easy to form with a, an element of commitment and discipline um, and then the benefits are, are, are so obvious once we get into that that regular pattern because productivity our well-being everything is uh is, is benefits
0: yeah and what exciting stuff have you got coming up i know you've just finished at the european championships but
1: Yes, yeah, so I yeah, so I have, um, so one of my movements, if you will, I talk about funding movement, once mm. I retired from competing, I, I, on the medical team, suggested and started practicing yoga. Okay. And uh, that's something which I now teach yoga. Um, I uh, My other half owns a, a company called Yoga Haven. We have six studios around the UK, but we also deliver a teacher training and uh, i'm very fortunate enough to uh, to be one of the delivery team on the teacher training and we're heading off to to greece uh, in september for a two-week intensive and uh, i'll be in a beautiful place called epidavros where we uh, deliver the training and uh, yeah to be in that um, in learning environment with all the teachers uh, with the teachers to be and uh, it's an incredible uh, place and i get to uh, to share me that, that time with them uh, as they uh, go on their journey to become teachers, and it's massively rewarding uh, to be part of that. And then, yeah, many more things towards the, uh, uh, towards the end of the year. I'm really uh, looking to share my message through my TEDx talk as far and wide as I can, so I'm inviting people to, uh, uh, to share that if it resonates with them. And I'll be continuing to uh, to work in this area to make a difference to to people's wellness.
0: Awesome! Sounds amazing. So, where can we find out more about you or access that that TEDx talk, which I'll be sharing later? So,
1: thank you. Yes. Yeah, so it's uh, so uh, in fact, visit my my website. So LeonTaylor.co.uk. Uh, you can contact me directly. Uh, on there, uh, some background information, and uh, yeah. So if you put my name in, the TEDx will come up on there. TEDx YouTube channel. That's uh, where uh, many people, uh, well, where it's uh, viewable. So um, yeah, hopefully you'll you'll link to it in the show notes. So uh, yeah, give it a watch, and then let me know what you think. I try and respond to as many of the sensible comments on uh, on YouTube as I can. In fact, I haven't done it for a few days, so I need to uh, to head on because people are sharing you know, their experiences in general based on, on what I'm talking about,
0: which has all been very positive. Brilliant. Leon, thank you very much. That was fascinating.
1: Thanks, Harry.
0: Hi guys, just a quick reminder that we aren't trained psychologists or psychiatrists or therapists, and if you're having your own problems, don't hesitate to go and see your GP Or use the services of charities like Mind or
1: Calm or anything like that. Cheers.